Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Obligacion. Here. Trustee Splendoria. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. And no, we do not have any public comments. All right. Um, next up is the Board of Trustees, the appointment of Moss Adams as external audit firm. Oh, wait a minute. That's the minutes. Yeah, we did that. We had a five minute, like 10 minute special meeting. To, I'm so to sad that. I missed that. Okay, <laughs> next up is approval of the minutes of the November 8th meeting. I'll move Thank that you for your motion to approve. Uh, I'll second. Both meetings. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, moved and seconded. All in favor by roll call. I'm sorry, who moved it? Uh, Trustee Obligas. Okay, thank you. Sorry about that. Um, Trustee Banerjee. Here. And uh, Trustee Aye. Aye. Trustee Obligasio. Aye. Trustee Sandorio. Aye. Motion passes. Unanimously. All right, moving right along. Action discussion item proactive privacy monitoring. This is the wrong agenda. Oh, the board book. It says 621. Yeah, it says 621. Uh, well, maybe that was the yeah. minutes of last minute. Okay, uh, next up is discussion item, external financial audit planning. Okay. Brian Connor and John, how do you pronounce your name, John? Uh, John Fenice. Fenice, thank you. Take thank it away, Brian and John. Excellent, thank you. We do have a uh, presentation uh here in a powerpoint format john you want to pull that up on or its way this uh all right perfect oops of course can you can you see it brian yes we, we see, see it. it yes right and i'm trying to get my stuff out of the way take it away perfect thank you well um as mentioned uh, and as uh, um, slipped in in very small font in the title here, uh, title page here, this is our uh, discussion with those charged with governance for the 2023 um, audit uh, process, uh, our planning discussion. Uh, it's really an important part of a, a financial statement audit uh, where the auditors uh, can engage uh, with those charged with governance uh, to discuss uh, our plan, uh, exchange ideas about risk areas, uh, et cetera, make sure that uh, we have uh, important communications and dialogue uh, that occur prior to getting uh, the engagement uh, uh, started uh, and going um, in our anticipated field work uh, beginning in, in August and September. Uh, so John and I will take you through this, this PowerPoint presentation, and uh, we will be discussing those areas that we talked about, but I think we have an agenda uh, here on the next slide. Um, and, you know, we encourage uh, uh, all those on the call that, you know, if you have questions, if you have thoughts related to uh, what we have here to discuss, or maybe more importantly, what might not be here, uh, but that's on your mind as a discussion topic, please don't hesitate to jump in. So again, here's our agenda. We'll discuss your service team, scope of services, our responsibilities. Uh, four and five are really the most important items, risk discussions. Uh, where we identify risk and, and we'll solicit your feedback um, in those areas uh, and then some project, project management items related to uh, uh, timeline and deliverables. Next slide, John. 
And here's your service team, uh, pretty consistent service team uh, that you had uh, last year, which we think is a good thing. Uh, my name is Brian Connor. I'm a healthcare partner with Moss Adams, and I'll be your engagement partner uh, again this year. And John Finais returns as our engagement senior manager. Uh, lots of experience John has with uh, um, hospitals and health systems uh, consistent with yours. Uh, we have a concurring uh, partner uh, who's kind of a quality control uh, aspect of the team, Kate Jackson. She's a healthcare partner. Uh, in our Northern California region. And then we use a variety of specialists uh, to help us with um, subject matter expertise in certain areas. One of those is Glenn Bunting, uh, who helps us with, uh, he's a director in our, our third-party reimbursement practice, helps us with some of your um, reimbursement uh, program items, a significant part of your revenue cycle. Uh, and then, of course, we have a, a cast of dozens uh, that will be working with your team uh, in the fall uh, to uh, audit uh, the health system's financial statements. Next slide, John. So scope of services. Um, as mentioned, we have an, uh, an annual consolidated financial statement for the health system. Uh, that will audit as of your year end, June 30th, 2023. Uh, there's also a single audit component uh, to that engagement uh, that relates to your federal grant expenditures. Uh, so we will conduct that um, for the year ending June 30th, 2023. Uh, on the right-hand side, uh, side of the slide is our non-attest services uh, that we perform uh, for um, the Alameda Health System assisting management with drafting uh, the consolidated uh, financial statements, excluding management's um, discussion and, and analysis, the MDA portion, uh, MDNA portion of the financial statements, where we assist management with drafting the audit key section of the OMB data collection form, and we assist in the preparation of state and federal tax returns for some related entities. Um, the important part of this is that none of those non-attest services uh, and we believe impair our independence uh, as your independent auditors. So uh, we believe that we're independent um, with uh, all professional standards uh, relative to this engagement. So next slide, John. And again, uh, our responsibilities uh, in relationship to a financial statement audit uh, we're responsible for forming and expressing an opinion on whether the consolidated financial statements that I mentioned previously are prepared in all material respects in conformity with U.S. GAAP. Uh, those are generally accepted accounting principles. Uh, and in addition, performing uh, the audit in accordance with auditing standards as promulgated by the AICPA, but also by the government auditing standards um, uh, the Comptroller, Comptroller, the Gen, uh, Comptroller General of the United States, uh, as well as California Code of Regulations, uh, because of the single audit uh, component of this, these are done under government auditing standards. So there's some additional elements uh, that are involved uh, in audits uh, un under those uh, standards. We're also responsible for communicating significant matters uh, to you that arise during the audit and are relevant to you. Um, and when applicable, community, uh, communicating particular matters required by law or regulation. Of course, the audit of the con uh, consolidated financial statements doesn't relieve, in our opinion, and what we're responsible for, doesn't relieve management 
uh, their responsibilities. Really, your management team is responsible for the financial statements uh, of the organization, and we as auditors are responsible for the audit opinions on those financial statements. Next slide, John. And uh, here's where we get into, I think, as I mentioned, the really important aspects of this discussion. And I'll turn it over to John for that. Before I do, I'll ask one again, uh, thank the organization for uh, allowing us to be involved, spending some time this afternoon to talk about this planning process. And two, I'll ask, are there any questions related to the information that we've gone through so far? Um, I have a general question. What percentage sure. of your time of your work is done remotely versus will be done hands-on with our team uh, in person? Yeah, great question. We've been primarily uh, remote uh, over the last several years. Um, and uh, John, I'll turn it over to you to answer that question based on the current year plans and designs uh, for our procedures. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll. Uh highlight this more and it'll be a little bit more evident when we get into uh, uh, the, the timeline. Um, we're going to continue the remote procedures for the what we consider to be our preliminary planning procedures. We typically do planning uh, remotely. Uh, we're able to, you know, getting understanding and have preliminary discussions about changes that have happened in the year, you know, whether they be systems or uh, key members of the organization or, or any processes and procedures. Um, but when we actually get into final field work, we do intend on being back on site. Um, we haven't finalized that decision overall, but in years past, our on-site procedures were a couple of days during interim for control testing. We've currently got that planned coming up here in a couple of weeks. We are going to keep that uh, remote, as I mentioned. Moving beyond that into final field work, we were usually on site for um, a week to begin the single audit procedures and also start our procedures on supplemental revenues. And then we were usually on site for about two weeks um, with a, a short gap between the, that initial procedure. So overall in years past, we were probably on site for three to at most three and a half weeks. I think this year, um, since we're not gonna be on site for interim, we'll probably be uh, you know curtailing that at about two weeks total time but really haven't finalized that with management at this point. But all of our team members are primarily in the Bay Area. And so returning to back on to being on site again is not a problem. Thank you. Uh, I have a question. Nelly. So uh, is it norm to um, do a look back when let's say you're, you're already doing an audit it, like in 2022, but you still have to do a look back to determine if management's estimate was um, correct. Is that norm for you guys to go uh, do a look back? I love the fact that you're wanting to jump into this slide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is a really great procedure from us um, from the standpoint that the your, your estimate in accounts receivable is one of the largest estimates on the financial statements. The, your health system, as is pretty much for every other medical provider, it takes a long time to fully collect your accounts receivable. 
And so that estimate has a lot of management judgment in it. Um, if you think about the, the different payer classifications, Medicare, Medicare Advantage, your Medi-Cal, your private insurance, your supplementary revenue programs, it takes a long time for those, uh, for those receivables to be fully collected. And so by evaluating management's ability to estimate the prior year and to then evaluate have there been any changes in management's process for estimating it? It gives us a really good lens into, will we be able to quote unquote, estimate revenue and the valuation of accounts receivable this year based on historical information? If, for example, it didn't work, well, then we're gonna have to think up other procedures. And so it's, really, it's a really good step from a baseline perspective to, uh, figure out are we going to go forward with plan A or are we going to start thinking about maybe plan B? Okay, thank you. Absolutely. Any other questions before I spend a little bit more time on this slide? Okie doke. Well, I'm going to jump right in. So as we've already talked about, we are going to start off our valuation on patient accounts receivable by doing a look back um, and basically seeing how well last year's accounts receivable has liquidated in the 14 to 15 months after the prior year ended June 30, 2022. If it's gone well, we intend on using that information to, to develop our, our procedures and our estimates to think about how did that correlate to collections after this year's accounts receivable and do we think management estimates are reasonable? So it's just one of our many procedures that we're going to focus on, but this is pretty much our primary, um, it's our plan A. Um, we're also going to spend quite a bit of time evaluating management override of controls. Um, the easiest one to think about from that perspective is the management's financial statements reconciled to the, to the statement of record, the system of record, that trial balance. We're also going to perform journal entry testing to see, you know, are, are uh, um, journal entries being evaluated and posted without evaluation? Um, things like that. So we really do want to spend quite a bit of time on management override of controls. Revenue recognition is also a significant risk that we spend quite a bit of time on. Um, as you can imagine, revenue is extremely important. It's adjusted by valuation adjustments from accounts receivable. You've also got a lot of different revenue streams. You've got fee-for-service revenue. You've got capitated revenue you have supplemental revenues, you've got grant revenues. And so there's quite a bit of different procedures that we think about uh, in identifying our uh, revenue procedures. The, the one that is highlighted here on screen is related to patient encounter data and census, um, which traditionally we think about in the, the fee-for-service revenue realm. Lastly, as it relates to revenue, uh, proper cutoff is important. So we'll be looking to see how did management cut off revenue? Has there been any changes in the amount of time it takes for the, the organization's billing team, I'll call it, uh, patient financial services, another way to refer to them. How long does it take them to complete the billing process and send those bills out of the organization to the appropriate um, insurance companies or to the, the, the financial responsibility people. Lastly, internal controls over compliance with federal laws, regulations, and major programs. This one's focused on your single audit. Um, 
As you know, you have a, an annual single audit. Quite a bit of your funding does come from federal sources and those federal sources require that the organization have a single audit that is married up with the finance statement audit or in, in relation to the finance statement audit. And so we'll be evaluating um, as it relates to the selected major programs, whether the organization has been in compliance with those required um, compliance requirements. Those are our four primary risk areas that we've identified and wanted to share with you today. There has been no change based on our preliminary discussions with management in these identified risk areas. If you were to think about this year in relation to the prior year audits, are you aware of any risk areas that we haven't listed here that you think warrant a discussion here today? Uh, Trustee Banerjee, Chair Banerjee has a question. I, I, you answered the question. I wanted to ask that the identified risks that you've identified, are they different from last year uh, or not? And you said that those were the same. Are there any more? Now, this will, uh, this will entail audit of the foundation, uh, the AHS, sing, uh, as well as... Um, I, I appreciate you asking that question. So uh, the health system does consolidate the foundation and the medical group. The medical group, as of last year, so the year ended 2021, ceased to request a standalone audit. And so the, the medical group is consolidated, is part of these audit procedures. There are a lot of common uh, common control procedures as it relates to the medical group. And so they're included in the overall audit. The foundation, however, continues to request a standalone audit. And so they will not be included in these procedures that I've highlighted here. They have a standalone audit. That organization will review that. We work with your management team, Ann and Kim, to make sure that they've properly included the foundation in the overall consolidated financial statements, but these significant risk areas are really just identified for the health system and the medical group and do not include the foundation. Thank you for that. So the, the foundation, am I correct in assuming that they want that for their fundraising purposes to be able to say we have a complete standalone audit of our operation? That is a very common reason for the foundation to want to have a standalone audit um, because the, the magnitude of the health system in relation to the foundation, it really is, is night and day. And so yeah. uh, we often see fundraising organizations like to have a standalone audit um, for just that reason. Thank you. So you, you asked us a question, and I think it's here on the the next slide. It is, yes. I'm going to jump to that slide. Okay. So in addition to just significant risks, we'd also like to discuss with you any other areas that you may have concern about. Um, objectives of the health system, strategies, business risks that may result in material misstatements. Are you aware of any concerns related to internal control? Any awareness of fraud or the possibility of fraud. 
anything that you think we should be thinking about as we work on completing our planning for the 2023 audit? I think, um, sorry, uh, I can't think of anything new and probably my esteemed colleagues might have it. My, uh, my question would be on the quality of the audit more. And as you said, that it, it's good to hear that you're, um, uh, that the folks who'll be doing it are mostly in the Bay Area, but in, uh, especially because our medical group is you know, new to the process and still working through their governance and financial and we really want to have a robust uh, quality audit for, uh, for, uh, for all of AHS. And so to ensure that the two week time on site that you have, if that is like as you're collaborating and coordinating with our management to make sure that, uh, you know, that time that is here is just, is able to embed the kind of deep quality that we are looking for. The uh, comments I'd like to make are that I think the trickiest thing is the fact that uh, our relationship with two other governmental entities, namely Alameda County and uh, the Alameda City of Alameda Health District. Um, so those are two areas that, um, you know, from time to time are murkier than other times, and we're in a long effort to try to clarify some of that or transition some of those relationships and they impact financial obligations, capital that we learned in a joint meeting with the Alameda County Board of Supervisors. So I'd like to see special attention paid there. And then the other thing I just wanna state as chair of this committee for the record that I am not aware of any fraud and have never been aware of any fraud. Yeah. Neither has um, other, uh, me as a board member. Well, thank you. We appreciate that very much. And then, John, if I might, just to, to further address uh, Director Banerjee, your, your um, previous question uh, that, that was answered, the areas of risk that we have up, up here are fairly consistent uh, with the prior year. Um, but I think also importantly, these are fairly consistent with um, areas of higher risk that we would see with uh, public health systems in general. That's really relatively common areas where the size, the magnitude, um, the nature of the estimates and judgments that go into the balances um, make those areas of higher risk. I think it's also worth pointing out that, um, of course, these aren't the only areas that, that we'll be looking into um, and that will be covered uh, under our audit procedures. There are, all, there are many other areas uh, that are material to the financial statements where we have uh, design procedures to, um, to evaluate uh, and test, uh, et cetera. Yeah, thank, thank uh, you for that. Director Splendorio, do you have a question? Yes, I do. I, I just have one area of, of that I'd like to see some discussion about is the internal our internal control when it comes to procurement. I mean, I think we do have a fairly robust set of a system for internal control, but it, if for a for a hospital system, if um, procurement, if we have an error, if we have some issues in procurement, it tends to make the news. Yeah. 
Yeah, good point. It's uh, it's an area that that ordinarily we would focus on uh, closely from a control perspective. Uh, I think the, all the areas you've mentioned uh, that have been mentioned here um, with the uh, medical groups integration into the financial statements, um, the relationships uh, with related entities, the county, et cetera, uh, and internal controls over procurement uh, are areas that we will certainly um, plan procedures around and look forward to communicating uh, back with you on the results of uh, those procedures. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Obligacion, do you have any points? Okay. I think we're good. Okay. We really appreciate the, the, the robust conversation here and the, uh, the additional highlight that the, the committee uh, would like to see covering the audit. All right. Um, maybe just a final recap uh, on our overall consideration of fraud, just focusing on fraud. Um, we are required per auditing standards to, to perform procedures to uh, seek to identify fraud. We start with a, uh, a, a fresh look every year after we get through planning, um, reading board minutes, reading audit committee and finance committee minutes. Um, looking for areas of risk, we will take those into consideration and make sure that we're designing procedures to see if there, to see if there is fraud. Um, we, we, if we identify fraud, we will certainly communicate that to you. But um, the reality is, is that um, since we are performing a risk-based audit, there could still be fraud that happens in your financial statements that goes undetected because of sampling risk and things like that. Our timeline. Um, so June 2023, planning meeting with management. We did that. We're here today to talk with you all to go through this entrance discussion. Next week, we're going to kick off those interim audit procedures and update our understanding of internal controls. Um, we'll begin our procedures on payroll disbursements, um, you know, the controls related to procurement, um, as it was referred to. Um, quite a bit of time will be spent on uh, fee-for-service revenue during the, the upcoming week, as well as uh, financial clubs reporting and, uh, um, and other areas. We'll, uh, we'll come out of those that this week with an intent on beginning single audit procedures um, the week of July 10th and completing those, or sorry, planning for the single audit the week of July 10th. Um, but really beginning single audit procedures the week of August 7th with final field work at the end of August. And so that's where we'll probably be on site for a couple of days that week of August 7th to kick off the single audit procedures to work with the, uh, the team uh, primarily focusing on the MOB program and uh, allowing management to spend some time uh, preparing for any other major programs that were identified. Um, the bulk of our on-site team or our on-site procedures will be um, beginning that week of August 27th. Uh, we're typically working on producing and reviewing management's draft financial statements in early October so that we can get to a point of being at a good stopping point to allow the delivery of some final drafts for this committee's review the week of, uh, well, currently it's planned for November 7th. And then finally, finalizing the audit reports thereafter. Any questions about timeline? 
fairly consistent with years prior. We found this has been a, a good timeline. It's worked for management. Um, we've had a, a bit of noise in the last several years with the, 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 the provider relief fund causing a delay in the execution of the single audits. We're looking forward to getting that back on track this year and having the single audit issue um, in, in connection with the financial statement audit at the same time. Thank you. Absolutely. No, I think we're, we're all excited about that. Both management and uh, us as auditors are looking forward to uh, having them both run at the same time again. Um, it's been uh, quite the long haul with having provider relief be such a, a challenging component to the single audit with their independent reporting. This slide is pretty benign. It really just kind of covers our planned deliverables to, uh, to those charged with government, to the board. Um, our audit report on the consolidated financial statements and the single audit. Um, the report to management, if applicable. So that's usually wrapped up in the, uh, the schedule of findings and questions costs if there is any internal control related matters that are identified during the audit. There's a separate letter to those charged with governance that covers those required communications that we will uh, annually go over. And then these last two are specifically for the, the single audit, the internal control report over uh, financial reporting and compliance, and then also the report on compliance for the major programs and on internal control as required by uniform guidance. No changes there. Do you have a couple of new accounting pronouncements to share. It wouldn't be a, a year without the, the, the good folks at the, at the GASB producing some new work for management to consider. Um, we don't expect this first one to have too much impact, but it is important to uh, be aware that, that uh, the folks at GASB want to have some additional focus paid to um, public-private uh, partnerships and the available availability of payment arrangements Management's already worked through this one and doesn't feel it'll have a significant impact, but we put it on this list just the same. This next one, GASB 97, we do expect to have more of an impact. Um, not quite sure how significant it will be. Management is still evaluating this one. Your management team did adopt GASB statement 87. It's that second to the last line down there. Um, the, the folks at the GASB um, saw to it that they wanted to include subscription-based information technology arrangements. So basically share-based or uh, be for, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Brian? Um, arrangements where you're using it's technology, but you're not actually putting. Say that again. John, are you thinking cloud-based? Yes, thank you so much. My brain was you're just- welcome. Connected. So, yeah, <laughs> I was searching for the mute button there, John. I apologize to leave you hanging. It's quite all right. Um, yes, the, the cloud-based technologies where you're not actually hosting the software, um, but you have the right to use the, the asset. Um, they feel it's important to also include that in with within that lease technology or that lease standard, which will put that liability, that requirement to make future payments onto your statement of financial position as both a liability and an asset. And so management is working on evaluating um, for compliance with that and thinking through the magnitude of 
those cloud-based technologies that are uh, subscriptions that should be included in this adoption this year. So this one is, both of these are applicable for, for this year ended June 30, 2023. That's really it for our planned remarks. We like to include these last set of slides as just a reminder of, of who we are and what we're able to help you and management out with should there ever be a need. And this last slide has our contact information on it. I, I had a question for our team. Um, Ms. Miranda, Ms. Boston and your teams, like you all, I know this has been a collaborative process, timeline and the time. So you all feel confident that our external auditors will have sufficient audit evidence for their statements and you'll be able to like work your teams. Um, um, is, yeah, probably that's a question I can answer for you. Um, so this timeline, as John said, is very similar to what we've done for, well, almost as long as I've been here actually. So um, I don't see foresee any issues um, with meeting it and having an adequate time to have Kim review the draft and everything. Thank you, good. Great, well, thank you very much, uh, Moss Adams team and staff and everything looks like it's on track and well-organized, so thank you very much and we'll see you again in a few months. Thank you. We'd look forward to it, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Okay, Bye. We're going to move on to item C, which is discussion cybersecurity update with E. Jazz Ali. Take it away. All right. Uh, good evening, trustees and everyone. Um, I guess I will share my slides. All right. Uh, can everyone see my slide? We can. All right. Uh, so actually, I'm going to put it in presentation mode real quick. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it actually took me out of presentation mode. Okay, I'll just I'll just show it like this. All right, um, so the cybersecurity update, so this is for uh, January through March of 2023. Uh, so as we're um, approaching really the end of the second uh, year of the program, we've really put um, an emphasis on protecting our identity. So uh, the very first uh, year and a half, we focused on protecting our patient data and our assets uh, while having a limited focus on identity. Uh, towards the end of, um, I guess, this year and then uh, moving forward, uh, especially with uh, zero trust and um, really the security footprint being on the edge, uh, we've uh, really put a focus on uh, protecting our identity. So what we've done um, as of uh, March of 2023 is we reduced our number of privileged users by 98%. And um, th that number is huge because 
of really um, our Citrix uh, desktop environment where we had um, um, almost every user be a privileged user. And, and that was um, from years and years of, of really um, bad design. Um, so uh, we've, um, we fixed that by um, removing um, privileged users from a Citrix desktop environment. And uh, we've also uh, reduced the uh, number of domain administrators by 82%. And um, also the biggest win uh, that, that we had was eliminating the privileged users who had a compromised password. So, and by compromised password, uh, these are passwords that are um, known uh, in the dark web. So it, it's not like um, someone's password was actually compromised. It was a password that was uh, probably compromised um, when Facebook or um, what's the, the latest one, uh, Twitter. So Twitter was uh, recently compromised and so uh, a password that matched uh, a user who had the Twitter password compromised probably had um, uh, the same password as an Alameda Health System user. And um, in the near future, uh, we're going to be focusing more on identity as we recently just uh, purchased a privilege access management tool to really help us um, further reduce the number of privileged users here and also um, our domain administrators. And then, um, and then we're also continuing to force uh, password changes for accounts in which we have a, um, a weak or common password. And then um, in terms of our assets, so we still currently have about 4,500 assets. We're about 97% uh, in compliance. Now the uh, industry standard around healthcare is uh, roughly around 90% uh, compliance. So we're um, ahead of the curve there, um, but we're uh, striving for a 100% compliance, which would be um, removing uh, some of the legacy operating systems in which we do have, and um, also finishing up uh, encrypting um, our, our environment. We also have about 1,600 connected medical devices, um, and the breakdown is on the is on the bottom right where uh, the vast majority of our connected devices are uh, infusion pumps, which are manufactured by Alaris. Uh, in terms of our vulnerability data, uh, so as of March 2023, uh, we have reduced the amounts of criticals, highs and mediums. Uh, lows really um, don't have an impact in our environment. Uh, if, if a vulnerability is considered low, it means that there is um, no exploit that's available and it's not being readily used by any bad actor. So we have about um, 752,000 that are 
um, really of no concern um, currently uh, to myself or this organization. Now, there's, there, there's still vulnerabilities as, you know, maybe sometime in the future, someone will uh, create an exploit or uh, find a way to, um, you know, um, find a way to exploit it. And so uh, then that'll uh, get moved from low and then head over to either uh, critical, higher, medium, depending on the severity. And um, so with our security incidents, um, you know, uh, we've had about 156 uh, that are low, uh, roughly uh, five that are high. Uh, and uh, the five that are high were, uh, you know, possible malware infections in which um, it took the team about uh, 72 minutes from detecting it to um, triaging it to actually resolving it just to make sure that um, this uh, that the incident didn't didn't spread. And then uh, for email security, um, so usually twice a year, you will see significant bumps um, in threat emails. Uh, one is just before uh, November and December for around the Christmas timeframe. And the other time is around March and April for summer break, right? So um, that's when uh, bad actors try to monetize off of, um, their, their thread emails so they can enjoy either their uh, Christmas holidays or their summer break. So that's why you see such a huge spike here uh, from February to March on the thread emails as uh, we went from 2.1 million to about 9 million thread emails. Um, and if there's uh, no other questions, um, I'll I'll pass back. I did have one question. Please go ahead. You just for the vulnerability, do, is it like, do you see it different uh, in levels of both the incident across our facilities or are there, you know, like this, we are seeing aggregate numbers here, like are there specific places within HS uh, which have are more vulnerable? Um, so across the facilities, no. So these are um, just on our devices. So we Correct, uh, but some of these legacy systems, like people might have like a older Windows version or Citrix version, depending if they're San Leandro Hospital or Alameda Hospital. I just want to know if there are some, uh, you know, vulnerabilities based on where you are. Well, where the devices are. Yes, so um, so Alameda Hospital um, does have, uh, we believe, the most of the uh, vulnerable uh, servers, right? So uh, we have one uh, legacy uh, electronic medical record called Meditech, uh, which is uh, still currently live in Alameda. So we can pull data from um, from that server. So in, in terms of servers, it's actually um, Alameda Hospital that, that has the most vulnerability. Um, 
In terms of desktops and medical devices, it's Highland just because of the sheer volume uh, in which we get through Highland. Thank you, that's helpful. Thank you very much for your report. Uh, we're gonna move on to Michael Kopecki. I had my hand up. There's a, a question. It doesn't show up here. Go ahead, explain, sorry. Thank you, thank you, Mark. So I just uh, curious about your budget and your staffing levels or your, I mean, a lot, I imagine a lot of it is, you've been able to automate a lot of the uh, systems that you're using to you know, detect uh, or at least to monitor vulnerability. Uh, how, how do you feel, and I'm sorry not to put you in the spot in front of the CEO, but um, I wanna know how you feel about your staffing and your, your ability to, to, or your department's ability to fund what you believe is needed. Uh, yeah, um, so we're uh, currently working with our, our CIO and our CTO on developing uh, really where Alameda Health System wants to go, um, you know, in terms of the future, especially around um, cloud-based access. And, you know, as they really um, draw that roadmap, you know, then, then uh, then after that, I come in with, you know, uh, security and say, okay, if this is the way that you want to go, then this is where um, that this is where we need to spend in order to to secure it. Uh, so, um, yeah, you know, I'm really I'm really dependent on um, where the where both the CIO and CTO uh, really take their program. Um, but in terms of staffing, you know, we we are um, adequately staffed in the sense um, in which we are using um, AI and ML to really automate um, majority of the tasks. So. Um, CEO, James. Thank yes. you very much um, for that response, Ijaz and. Um, Trustee Splendoria, it was a great question. I, I appreciate you asking, and I just want you to know that I have regular conversations with both Ijaz and with uh, Mark Amy about the security program and making sure that it's adequately being supported. Um, I think that there's more that we could be doing, and so it is an ongoing conversation, but I, I, I wanted Ijaz to speak freely because certainly, you know, I believe that we're doing the right thing by that program, but I know that there's always new opportunities. And so um, continuing to look at ways that we can make sure that we minimize vulnerabilities. Thank you. Great, any more questions or comments? Thank you again. We'll move on to review of risk assessments with Michael Kopecki, our manager of internal audit. Take it away, Michael. Yeah, hi, thank you uh, and uh, pleasure being here. Um, this is my, my first appearance. I've been here about two months and over that time been doing the risk assessment process, which is uh, a requirement based on the internal uh, auditor, auditing standards uh, promulgated by the Institute of Internal Auditors. Uh, so yeah, if we could bring up our deck here. So the risk Why assessment- I, I, I um, shared my screen. Thank you, Marilyn. Uh, so the risk assessment process is really just an organized way of identifying areas that we can possibly audit uh, and applying a methodology that helps us kind of distill and rank it so we can deploy our resources and, and for our, our fiscal year of, of audit activities we want to be performing. 
so this process uh, took us through basically just interviewing a director uh, and VP and senior leadership uh, you know, for the last couple months, um, asking a set of questions that are geared towards evaluating risk uh, and applying our criteria, uh, which involved a, a weighted methodology of regulatory and oversight, uh, reputational type risk, materiality, uh, which involves a volume and, and frequency of transactions um, and also dollar-based uh, of those activities. Uh, process changes introduces another element of risk as, as, as personnel changes. Uh, you have that knowledge transfer needs to occur in certain instances. And then overall complexity. Uh, are we talking about manual processes? Are we talking uh, automated? Uh, are there third parties that are involved where they are performing you know, an entire part of that activity uh, and we just don't know unless we have proper oversight over those third parties. So in having all these conversations and uh, applying our, our ranking methodology, we identified 93 total uh, risk areas uh, through those, those interviews. And those risk areas make up our audit universe, which is on the next slide. So in, in layering these and looking at these banded high risk, medium risk and low risk audit areas, um, the numbers there are, are, are for reference in each of the respective boxes, and I'll give for example. So when we score these out, for example, um, audit area one, two, and three had the same score, but for ease of understanding what's important and how we need to look at the areas we should be auditing, at least for this year's risk assessment, 38 of the 93 bubbled up to being high. Um, for the amount of resources we have in internal audit, we're probably going to be able to do about five uh, of these high risk audit areas. Um, we do also leave room for other special projects and management requests and consultative reviews to allow that, that level of um, you know, support and value of the audit function to be available to management. And as the, the year kind of you know, takes its own twists and turns so we can deploy our resources, but we will definitely be doing five high risk audits um, this year with um, includes myself and another staff member. So the five that we're gonna be doing based on the resources available and our competencies in the audit area is a physician contracting audit, payroll and time card audit, uh, user access, uh, professional billing adjustments, and cash posting. Ideally, we wanna be able to get a, a mix of audits that you know, cover both you know, financial impacts, um, technology, uh, and other operational components that are essential for meeting our core objectives as an organization. Um, so that's where I arrived, you know, through the risk assessment process and examining, you know, the competencies in our group, what would be the best fit of, of audits to complete this year. We also perform recurring audits, um, two of them right now, we do on a monthly basis exclusion testing, and we have an annual recurring audit uh, called CMS Open Payments uh, work. So the risk-based audits and the recurring audits comprise about 75% of our, our internal audit functions time. And we leave about uh, 20 to 25% of our uh, other available time for consulting projects, which we've already been building the list. And I can, I can kind of run through some of those that we're, we're targeting. Um, Any questions so far? I do. Please go So um, on your high-risk audit areas, uh, it's identified 38. <laughs> I mean, how did we determine the five that you just presented out of the 38? Is it by, I'm not sure if it's by priority, 
And then the second question I have, those five that you identified, how long would it take to conduct those audits? Sure. So yeah, they are ranked in order of, of, of how from highest to lowest, even one through 93. But in some cases, you know, some of them have the same score. So items one, two, and three have the same score, for example. So I basically went from top to bottom and based on the competencies of that I bring to the table and also my staff, um, I focused on the highest areas. So for example, um, the physician contracting audit was um, in the top, was one of the top three items that we, we could audit. Payroll um, was uh, item number four of the 93 user access, which came up, falls under system and service management, number six. Uh, professional billing adjustments, number 13. Cash posting, number 16. So we're still in, in the 20, the top 20 of the 93 uh, is where our core focus is. And the way I, I looked at uh, spreading out the year um, is, or not the year, the, the time for each of the regular engagements we're gonna be averaging about 450 hours per engagement. Um, and we got two things that are happening. Um, we have a, a staff that's been on board for a few years and, and myself just kind of learned the, the organization, but at least uh, gonna, I'm gonna be retooling um, our approach for doing the audit work, uh, building more consistency and rigor uh, around the depth and scope of, of how we complete this. So um, I, I would say by the end of this year and by next year, we're probably spending about 400 hours for a risk-based audit. Um, so this gives us a great opportunity to get not only close to the process and understand the business you know, well and the objectives of what's trying to be accomplished, but also make sure that we're focusing on, on the key risk areas within that particular um, audit area and we test for those appropriately. So then another follow-up question then, if you have a high-risk audit areas and there's 38 that were identified, so this would take long, longer to do audits for the high-risk area of 38, correct? Right, I mean, but ideally you'd like to be able to cycle through your high-risk audits over a five-year period of time um, and many of these uh, engagements on here, you probably want to hit more frequently than just once every five years uh, because they have revenue impacts or maybe they have their critical infrastructure uh, connections um, or maybe there's safety elements and security elements that need to be touched more often. So uh, it definitely does speak to the amount of available resources to have proper coverage, uh, whether it's personnel or third party uh, that is performing such an activity. Definitely, uh, Mike and I have, you know, been having discussions based upon the resources that's available, and we will probably be putting together a business case for additional resources, because right now it is Mike, you know, as a manager and one additional staff member that's working in internal audit. And so you, you have definitely identified the fact that we do have, you know, a number of high risk areas. Um, that we would love to touch, you know, and, and get the audits done. Um, but we're limited right now in resources. Thank you. Mark um, Fransky. I've got a couple questions, actually. Um, oh, the, did you have a follow-up? 
No, okay. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I understand the the quantitative numerical based way to determine risk that you utilize, but I'm wondering if these 78 have been through some kind of qualitative analysis where as the findings are discovered, um, you sit down with, I don't know, the executive team or James or somebody to just go through and see if the numerically based process sustains itself through a more qualitative discussion, number one. And then number two, if we've got 78 high risk. 38. 38 high risk, thank you, Marilyn. If we've got 38 high risk, um, what level of risk just in general does it place our organization to not be able to work on the other 33? A great question. And that is, you know, part of the, the answer is this you know, form that we're doing right now. So presenting the results of the risk assessment and proposed audit plan and getting this feedback. So if there are areas, at least in the five that are identified for the resources we have um, that you'd like to see replaced, um, happy to, to, to take that into consideration and, you know, make the adjustment accordingly. Um, for, I don't know if I quite got the kind of the second half of, of your question there, but um, the, the qualitative component is feedback now. And also, even though we applied a weighting, the weighting is based on the interview responses. There wasn't, it wasn't like a Likert scale, you know, one through five, and then there's your answer and we score accordingly. It's give me your response let me interpret that response and see how it best fits um, based on our weighting criteria um, for the, the relative risk areas, uh, the risk ranking uh, components. So uh, there is opportunity to, to make adjustments here and, and this is the form to, to do it. Um, and there, keep in mind, there's also 25% of the hours that I do uh, retain specifically for things that come up during the course of the year um, that maybe don't need as deep an audit look, but still require an audit rigor and principles to be applied to answer a question or do research and provide an opinion on a particular issue. Thank you. So, um, well, I guess it seems like, you know, resources are needed and then you identify these five. I mean, I'm not familiar with all of this. So of course I trust you guys to make that decision which one that you guys move forward but i guess my question let's say that you i the five that you identify so the rest of the 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 risk and the medium and the low what's the plan to make sure as we we're doing this identified five and let's say it's over a year or two or three four years is there a plan to make sure that anything that are, are listed on a low or medium are not moving into the high risk? Into the high risk? So is there a written plan that, that we need to, I mean, maybe at some point to have at least a presentation for us, because that will be our concern is we're making sure that those things doesn't move. Let's say you finish this um, audit of the five that you identify, but then you come back the next time with the same number or in an increase. So I would like to see like what's what what the plan in terms of internal 
from staff or they're, they're doing something to make sure that it doesn't move to, to, to the high risk or to the medium, the low, the medium, but low risk are being fixed so that in three months from now, okay, well, every low risk that we conducted, we made all the corrections and, you know, then it doesn't move. Yeah, so we, we are required to do this risk assessment process annually. Um, if there are changes to the, the these five because something bubbled up and was more significant, we will come back and present to you um, why an, an audit would be falling off and why it's gonna be replaced with another high risk area and provide explanation for that um, as well. Um, I have been at other prior internal audit shops where, you know, vast um, senior leadership what what item would you like audited or examined from the medium or low risk areas? Because uh, in truth, they probably won't get touched unless they bubble up to a high risk audit area. So that's not uncommon for the CEO, CEO to be a, a part of, you know, go ahead and pick a high risk audit area or medium or low that you would like to be included in the plan. And I would like to clarify one thing, just because an area is high risk does not mean it's broken. It means it's an important area to the organization to ensure that it's operating effectively, um, it, you know, and, and also you know catches the regulatory components, reputational components, you know, volume, uh, you know, those other weighted factors <clears throat> that I applied in determining. Okay, this is an important area. It, should, it is therefore you know, ranked high based on the methodology we apply. It's not necessarily because it's broken. Uh, we just need to make sure that it's performing and operating and functioning as intended. Yeah, I, I was going to ask that. Thanks for that clarification, Director Banerjee, or Chair Banerjee. Yeah, thank thank you for this. Um, I had a question for Miss Boston. Actually, uh, I know that in 2017 we had this organization called CRG, or, or somebody who came in and did an assessment of our department to see, like, for an organization of this scale and size, how is our uh, like our Department of Internal Audit and Compliance, how are we staffed, how are we resourced? And they had given a pretty detailed thing about like, here we are okay, here we are woefully understaffed. And that the overall assessment was that for to do, to not be so reactive and to not be, to uh, not have like so many things drop off the radar in terms of our own internal uh, audit that we needed to have a you know stronger uh, a, 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 a larger team and so miss boston uh, that that i know you said that you're putting uh, a business plan together does that do you see that have being resourced uh, in this budget uh, is there space for that or do we have to wait because i do think that we need better internal controls and not be so reactive always. So how are you, you know, this was our foundational year of our strategic plan the first year and like foundation is when we think like some, we are building some of the infrastructure. So how, how soon will you have a plan and what kind of confidence do you have in being able to be resourced in the way that we need to be? So I actually did review that uh, report that was done, and it's still extreme. It's still pretty accurate for now. Um, I actually have a plan. James and I have discussed, you know, um, 
some of the ideas that I have for moving our team forward. Uh, you know, we work on a run rate. And so certainly we did not have, you know, the extra FTEs in our budget last year, but we can do a case for what we need basically. And then going forward, it will, you know, we'll, if we basically, we'll get what, you know, what we can uh, add it to our team and then that will be built in going forward. But I don't know if there's enough time. I think our budget for, um, is ending by June 30th. And so we won't be able to get it in by the end of this budget period, but I will definitely get that uh, moving. I wanted, this was one of the first priorities. I asked Mike to get this done as soon as he came in because I thought we needed to have an idea of where our risk areas were and really, and, and uh, the volume of work that we really needed to do because we were only touching some of the audits related to some compliance areas, but not really looking at our system uh, on some of these. And so I think this is giving us the information that we really need to help uh, basically, you know, build this team. Thank you. Uh, what is the relationship between our internal audit function and our external audit function? We actually have some external auditors uh, performing some audits for us uh, related to our revenue cycle, billing, coding, those type of things. So we are using those. I believe that as we staff up, you know, in our internal audit area, uh, we could, we'll probably be able to use less contractors uh, for some of those uh, audits. But right now we are relying on, you know, some external audit auditors to get some of this work done. And what about the work that Moss Adams is doing? Is there any relationship with that? There is some relationship, but we I think we will probably continue to use Moss Adams for a while. And the reason I say that is because, you know, doing the financial statements uh, and doing that audit, that's a pretty significant lift. And you really have to have a fully staffed internal audit department to do that. And you still oftentimes need, you know, um, some external support. And so I think we will, we will be using Los Adams for, I, I know we just did a contract with them, what, I think for the next three years. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so we can, you know, can build our team and, and maybe reduce some of that lift. Thank you. Glenn, uh, do you have any questions? I guess not. I, I do I not. Thank you. I know that there are there were also you know the best practices of like having some of these be at the full board meeting too. Like so, we as we plan for the next six months, we'll make sure that there's a robust audit other than the written report or any of that at the full board. That's part of our governance obligation as well. So to be planned. Thank you. If there's no more questions or comments, thank you very much. Michael, welcome aboard. We're happy to have you and it's clear you've got a challenging job. Thank you. Uh, one question on the plan that we do have um, so that we can, you know, get it in. One of the things that's really great is, you know, Mike has really uh, good expertise in internal audit and he's really setting up the controls based on industry standards. And so we do need to have uh, an approval 
for the work that we plan on moving forward, knowing that it's not limited to this because we will be doing, you know, special projects. And if managers are requesting additional audits, you know, for uh, operational needs, we'll be able to, you know, work on getting those done as well. But this is basically our plan for fiscal year 2024. Um, this is listed as discussion. Can oh, we, was it? Well, we can bring it back to the, um, if we need to do that or do it. Uh, can we take uh, an approval? No, we can't. We no. Can't. Okay. That's <laughs> so we can bring it to the full board then? Can we, yeah. Can we do that? Bring it to the full board? <laughs> to be determined, huh? Can you make a recommendation? They can't take any action. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to have to move on. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Review of. Yeah. So she wanted an approval. That's okay. We can. Uh, yeah, we'll we figure it out. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. You. Uh, we move on to item E, which is discussion of internal audit compliance reporting summary. Marilyn Boston and Akimi Rent. All right. Um, these are additional audits that was done. This is a report on a 340B audits for the third quarter. So for our hospital claims for Medicare and commercial, there were a total of uh, 5,968 items. Of that, there were 67 that had um, errors for a 1.1% error rate. And basically these were hospital bills uh, these were claims that was related to uh, HICPICS codes or they were missing modifiers that uh, identified them as being 340B drugs. And so our um, HB team, they are working on correcting these claims. And for our Medi-Cal managed care, there were of the 26,872 items, there were four errors. And again, these were related to missing modifiers. Let's see, our freestanding uh, ambulatory clinic claims of the 102 items, there were four with errors, again, related to missing uh, modifiers that identified them at, this was related to DME. And then our ambulatory freestanding clinic for Medi-Cal and managed care, there were no errors. This is good. Yeah. The oversight and the 340, this is very good. And so the additional audits that we've been doing, the um, FY modifier, this is for computed radiology. And basically this is one that's been ongoing for a while. There were claims from 2018 to 2022, that claim years that were audited. And basically we identified originally um, the number was about 24,000, but there was an additional audit done and it was about 39,000 items. And when we say items, one claim can have more than one you know, item on it. And they were missing the FY modifiers. And so revenue cycle right now is assessing the refund amounts that's gonna be due uh, based upon the payers. Uh, and 
what that FY modifier does, because this is older technology, Medicare reduces um, the amount of reimbursement and they expect us to put this modifier on those claims to identify the type of service that it was. And then they reduce the reimbursement. So basically we've gotten overpaid on these. The inpatient admit orders, um, this is one that we're working on with John George uh, Psych Hospital. And basically there were some, uh, the inpatient admission orders were missing uh, for a number of claims. And so we are still working on this. Um, basically we have identified what the issue is, working with operations on putting together a corrective action plan, some re-education, you know, with the uh, physicians that were involved in this. But again, we are, um, you know, working to identify the total number, what the look back period will need to be and how much, you know, we may have to refund. Let's see, provider audits. Do you, do you have any valuation? Like, are we talking millions? Are we talking hundreds of thousands? Like, wait, what is the refund that we'll be liable for? I, we haven't quantified it yet because I just um, connected with um, legal to have this put under attorney-client privilege today so that we can identify what the look-back period needs to be. We did an, uh, an audit from, I believe, January of 2022, I think, to current. We went back a year, and there were 118 patients that had been admitted without uh, inpatient orders. And that is definitely a condition of payment with uh, Medicare. And so, you know, before we go in, you know, any further, we needed to identify what that look back period needs to be. We may have to go back to when um, Epic was basically um, brought online. And so I will find that out. I have a meeting. Um, this week and we will identify, you know, what that is, but I don't know what the, I can't quantify it yet. Thank you. I do know for some, I think we had audited about 24 and with those, it was, it was right at a million dollars for 24 patients. Let's see, um, so provider audits of the uh, evaluation and management services. So basically we're just looking at four, about 465 ER cases that will be reviewed and that's in process right now. So we haven't um, finished that. And then age credit balances, that has been um, audited. And right now what we're doing is working with um, revenue cycle basically to just validate what those findings are and to put to, together a corrective action plan because if they are aged and they need to be refunded, then we need to get that done. We've got a question here from uh, Trustee Apogastio. Yeah, um, sure. I'm, I'm just looking at this, this findings and you know how we remedy going back to 2018 to 2022. So how many auditors do, do we have? I mean, we, we're a large organization. And so I guess I'm, I'm really concerned. I mean, sometimes I see a small organization. I, I, mean, I used to do some audit before, 
but like there's like a group of auditors internally like there's we have five auditors and so do we have enough to do this internal and should that be maybe more of a priority because this is like you know back to 28 i mean this is like like long period and i think that we need to hear as the trustees to to figure out like priorities like right and 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 you know i mean if there is not enough i mean i'm concerned <laughs> as as you know done some auditing before and the recommendation from crg or whichever is that the rvp or chief audit uh, officer of audit or vp of audit internal reports to the board um so you know um whether for resourcing and things like that, I think we should have some say about uh, about it. This is, you know, I know that in the past when we've owed a lot in refunds, you kind of negotiate and beg for forgiveness and the amount comes down, but this could be millions again. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I mean, so very small maybe, maybe looking at how much do we really, let's say we have the external, right? Why? have an external auditor where if we could have more resources on the internal, because those people, once they're internal, they're more committed and dedicated, right? And so, I mean, that's maybe a, a priority or a goal that we, we should really look at and evaluate. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. me. If the CEO is right here, I think those <laughs> are the conversations we really need to have. We have a very sure. tiny team for a, 1.4 billion dollar enterprise like it is very small it's kind of a cost return analysis we have to conduct to think how much can we save if we invest another couple hundred thousand or whatever into internal audit or how much will we lose if we don't invest that so that yeah that will be a knowledge that i would really like to see right sometimes you have to invest Right and 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 put cost, but you're doing an investment because the return at some point will be good, rather than we just keep on just going around and around, and then then here again we're gonna have all these surprises. I would rather say let's invest on this because this is what we're gonna gain. Right. So let's figure out some solutions and and maybe yeah. if we could have a plan that we have a solution and the return in the long run would be much better, but we have to invest on it. it, it I think it's, it's better to look at that. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. And, the, and that is where sometimes just going by the run rate, it exacerbates the inequities. It just keeps perpetuating. Yeah. Places which have been disinvested historically just keep getting disinvested. And places that have, you know, uh, so those yeah. are the kind of relook we need to do. If, if I may. Yes, please. and I, I appreciate the dialogue. I just, I think in fairness, I've never in the two and a half years that I've been here done anything unilateral. If we have a process and our process is runway, we, we've tried to honor that. So the conversations that Marilyn and I have had are, you know, certainly within the run rate, we do spend for externals. And so how do we move that money to, to internals? And so that's been part of our conversation. And then going to the work committee. Yeah. And doing the kind of analysis that you've just been talking about, which is, what is the return? So maybe it's not in the budget, but if we can show that this is going to, one, 
provide better quality and better results, but also maybe there's some financial return. So, so those conversations are underway. So I, I, I just don't want you as trustees to feel as though we are not, yeah. you know, actively talking yeah, about how do we resource absolutely. her appropriately. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of uh, consequences to these issues. Um, once you've identified the problem, one, you have to make sure it can't happen again, and then you have to train the personnel who may have put the wrong modifier or did whatever and let uh, that person or persons understand the consequences for our whole organization and our mission. So there's no simple solution by just saying another couple auditors and we'll fix the problem. And I other remember thing. when, when the, those 120,000 or whatever modifiers were incorrect that came up in the audit committee in 2019 or so. Like we remember like having, hearing about some of those at that time too, there was some wrong incorrect modifiers. So yeah, we know that this is a, like this is a generative discussion, so there's no ask questions being cast on like right. things are not happening. It's a big enterprise. It's an ongoing process. So uh, we know how hard people are trying and doing to do things right. Right. And some of the things that we've identified is that these are not all people issues. Some of them are system issues yes. where when uh, Epic was implemented, um, the build for some of these things just was not completely, you know, put in place properly. And a lot of that is that if you don't have all of the correct stakeholders at the table when you're doing that, revenue cycle need to be there, coders need to be there, billers, you know, because then they could identify some of these. So we're fixing some of these on, you know, on that on the back end, but it does take time identifying them and getting those fixes in place. Right, right. Yes, Marilyn, uh, but it, I think Marilyn, your meeting with Anne Mary with my team will let you know uh, under privileged confidential communication exactly what we're looking at. So, yes. Good. Well, why don't you continue on? Okay, switching to um, our privacy uh, reportable breach notifications. For that, the last quarter we had two, um, both were unauthorized accesses into patient medical records. Um, the patient's uh, family or the patients were notified and a plan of correction um, is in progress for both of those. And then with our IRB, um, just to give an update here, we had a total of 75 um, reviews that were done for the fourth quarter. And of those, one was an expedited. We had four that were exempt, seven modifications, one annual review, one expedited um, annual check-in. Wait a minute. That doesn't add up. That does not add up. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked, I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. What are we missing? Give or take 50. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. The total active studies are 75. And so it's only, this is just giving us, I guess, the newer ones that came in. We're okay. going to have to revise this so that it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. So this number on the bottom is the total active studies that we currently have. Right. Correct. And from April through June, these numbers here were the newer ones that came in. 
All right. And then for um, our compliance report. So if you look, some of the work that we've done, it's beginning to show um, as far as our lighthouse cases, our third quarter, we had 200 um, cases that were entered. We closed 211. There were a total of 96 pending re resolution and two were reported to the government. And the difference again that you're seeing is that more cases um, that we work on are being entered into our uh, incident management system than were current than you know were being entered uh, before. And then to the right kind of gives us a breakdown of the types of cases. Um, under compliance, we had 39, and it was basically conflict of interest, billing issues, contract. Uh, questions or concerns, internal audit reviews and findings from those reviews, our monthly exclusion screenings, uh, 340B audits, fraud, theft, misconduct concerns, claims reviews, and then patient safety compliance concerns. Those were the categories. Um, under the IRB projects, basically we just list here the work that was done regarding BATI um, research um, the EPIC research project that we'll talk about, um, guest confidentiality forms and policy, the training, the city training uh, for IRB, um, submissions and reviews, and then the reliance agreement standard process. Uh, under education and training, the compliance newsletters that go out, and then physician anti-harassment education. HR had 65 um, and they were related to employee relations, hostile work environments, harassment allegations and retaliation allegations. Five under uh, risk and safety, basically those were quality of care concerns and patient safety concerns. 78 privacy incidents, uh, privacy investigations, contract reviews, privacy research, and that a lot of those are dealing with like BAA, uh, business associate agreements, uh, those types of things. And then there was one for environment of care. It was an engineering concern. So the projects that we are currently uh, working on is our privacy proactive monitoring and with that, basically, um, we are in the discovery stage with that it was approved, but we're going to have to put it on delay for a while because there are some other um, IT have some other things that they're working on implementing that takes, you know, a higher priority. So this particular project, they may not be able to start before September of this year, but we're really looking forward to getting this one implemented. Um, the Bay Area Tumor uh, Institute, um, that's a contract that we're working to get in place. Um, we're having Huron do an assessment of our, our, of, our, uh, of our IRB and our Human Research <coughs> Protection Program. Um, and we're having them do that assessment so we can find out, you know, where there are any gaps and make sure that we, you know, can fill those gaps and be in compliance. And 
And this just gives a little bit more detail again, and we've spoken about these prior, uh, but with the Bay Area Tumor Institute, that contract is near completion. Um, we will have to do a workaround for managing those studies uh, until the EPIC bill is done. Uh, but that EPIC bill is in the discovery stage, but we're not going to start, um, you know, moving forward with that basically until we have the Huron assessment done uh, of our IRB. And then um, the workflows uh, and the processes with for stakeholders that is being developed. And basically the scope of work that Huron is gonna be doing is a gap analysis of the IRB operations uh, and supporting uh, the standards uh, of procedures uh, and implementing tools and those types of things. They're also gonna review our current, our office, our IRB committee. They're gonna look at the organizational structures and make recommendations so that we can maximize our resources and in, uh, increase efficiency with those. Um, Ms. Boston. Sure. Do you know if our IRB are using any kind of equity assessment tools? There might be different research for human subject research. Like there's a, there are like very specific, especially when you work on indigent, low, uh, you know, marginalized, minoritized communities. There is a lot of exploitative studies sometimes that are done with, with you know, when we study through those and there are very robust equity analysis that is uh, that, that are there. I hope that that will be applied over here because we know this is just the nature of the field that we would not do things on well-heeled, um, yeah, you know, wealthy well patients that we feel we can do on um, mm -hmm. minoritized communities. Yeah, I, I can speak to that. Um, there is, um, a very um, strict protocol that um, uh, proposed uh, study by an investigator. So, um, and all this is governed under the FDA because it is um, human subject research. And so um, they have to, we have a criteria on the steps in the protocol that they must um, provide. And that review um, is done by our co-chairs, which are physicians. So they actually go through the, um, the full protocol. And, and through that, if there are any gaps, then it must go back to the um, to the investigator before we can even do a full review. And that full review is actually done by the IRB committee. Um, so there are different steps um, that they must um, go through. And like I said, the FDA requires us to follow all of these steps. So if it's, um, and it's based on risk. So the risk to the human subject. So if it's a higher risk, then um, the full committee must um, uh, 
agree to it. And what that means is that the proposed um, study that they want to do, they have to present and um, in a detailed um, PowerPoint to explain the scope and uh, the steps from the beginning to the end of, for the participants. Um, so we, most of our studies are um, data-driven at this point. We've only had a couple that had to do with a drug. And, but we also are required to have a pharmacist. So a pharmacist is the one that will look at the patient's safety when it comes to a drug. Um, so those are parts of the step to protect uh, human subjects. Do you have any other questions on that? Yeah, thank so, you. No, this is very helpful. And, yeah, and also some of those IRB are the floor not the ceiling. And so there are, you know, additional sometimes ways, especially with uh, not just drugs and things, but like even qualitative research questions of like, what are the questions we ask like in a research process, even if it's a, uh, not necessarily intervention, but uh, like a more research. So just to put that out there that we can, you know, um, there, there are ways in which organizations are doing more than what the IRB requirements are. Uh, yes, correct. Uh, correct. definitely noted. And that's one of the things when Huron does their assessment, it's those types of things that I'm, you know, uh, asking them to kind of look at so we can see, you know, how we can improve ours. Thank you. And so I've noted um, an equity analysis for research. And I believe that is the end. Any, um, any questions? I don't see any, are there any from anybody who's on Zoom? Not from me. I think we're good. And then the rest is uh, internal written reports. Thank you team. Excellent job, very comprehensive, and uh, we are adjourned.